going into your life and everything is prosperous around you. But we find ourselves in our spiritual maturity still praising God and giving thanks to Him even during the difficult seasons, right? In everything. Ephesians 5 and 20 takes us then to the next level. Give thanks for all things. So I give thanks to God for everything that's happening in my life, even trauma, even difficult seasons, because God can turn that situation around. Romans 8 and 28 says, you know this, right, that all things will work together for the good of those that love the Lord and that are the called according to His purpose. God can take darkness and He can extract light out of it, draw light out. The Bible says He calls light out of darkness. So I give God thanks for all things. Colossians 4 and 2 then takes me even deeper. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So as I pray and as I become sober, the word watch means to be sober and vigilant and alert. I watch in the same with thanksgiving. Because as I'm thankful, then it, it, it prohibits me from being in pride and arrogant and trusting in myself. I'm recognizing that any good thing in my life is a result of God's divine grace. Right? Any good thing. Philippians 4 and 6 then says, by prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let my request be made known unto God. That means before I petition God for something else, I thank Him for what He's already done. Come on. Before I say, God, I need this in my life, I want to thank you, God, for what you've already committed to my life. Amen? Now, if you and I were to make a list of things to be thankful for, like the old song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. If you and I made a list, how many of you said that list would be endless, number one. Number two, though, however, kind of a, a, a compilation of our thoughts might look a little bit synonymous among us for a little while, at least before it began to trail downward on the list. But we would probably all start and say, I want to thank God for Christ. Come on, thanks be unto God, Paul would write, for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, Christ Jesus. Eternal life that I have in Christ Jesus. That's where I would start, Christ and redemption. I would thank God. If you said, Pastor Brown, make me a list, I would start with the coming of the Messiah, and then I would talk about his shed blood that created redemption that you and I have today. We have access unto the Father because of Jesus Christ's atoning blood on the cross of Calvary. I was not acceptable to God. I was wicked, bound in sin. But God commended His love toward me that while I was yet a sinner, Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. Come on, and now I can say, Abba, Father, because of that redemptive blood. I would then thank God for my family, no matter how large or small, whoever God's placed in your life that God has rewarded you with, then I would thank the Lord for that person, wouldn't you? That's what I would do. I would list, and I wouldn't even leave Alyssa out of this particular list like that one day, which was done in accident. I would thank God for my church family. You may not think you need the church, but I know we need the church. We need one another. Come on, when I'm down, somebody's there to pick me up. Come on, and I value the connectedness that I have in the church. I never feel alone. I never feel, I have too many people in my life that I know that my heart is knit to theirs and their heart is knit to mine, and you can have the same confidence. You don't have to be alone in this life. Come on. Woe is unto him. If the Bible meant for you to be alone, they wouldn't say woe. Woe is unto him who is alone, Proverbs said, or Ecclesiastes says. For he has no man to help him when he stumbles. 
But if you're a part of the body, you've got somebody there to lift you up. So I would thank God for the church. I would thank God for my national freedom. Despite the confusion of our government today, I would still thank God for the freedoms that we have as Americans. I would thank God for my health. Even if you've got sickness that you're facing right now, number one, if you're still breathing, you've got a reason to give God thanks for your health. Something's working, right? So I would thank God for my health. I would thank God for grace, just grace, unmerited favor, the favor of God. And then the list would begin to change. I'd thank God for prosperity. I'd thank God for this or that. I want to show you a verse of Scripture I don't know if you thought about as you started making lists in your own mind. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18 is a verse of Scripture that I want to talk about today. I hope I'm going to help some of you that have never really understood something that is unique to the fellowship that you have chosen to worship with today. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Hmm. I want to talk to you today for a little bit because I feel a need as more and more people are kind of connecting to the, to the fellowship of the First Assembly of God and also to what would be defined as Pentecostal fellowships. We need to lift people's understanding of what we commonly hold to so that you feel comfortable worshiping among us and that you're not questioning the experience that many of us possess. Does that make sense? Come on, I want to lift your understanding today and I want to answer questions. I've made a list of ten questions that I feel like need to be answered about this experience of speaking with tongues. Let me just take a moment to talk about this for a second for, for just a second. It's a distinctive doctrine in the Pentecostal fellowships. Now, if you were to go to the majority of the churches in America and even around the world, there would be some things that would be, you know, comparable in, in the body of Christ, despite the doctrinal differences. You know, no longer is, is um, what's the right word, more, uh, more emotional, or not, that's not the right word, emotional, more uh, demonstrative worship is no longer limited to the Pentecostal churches. You can go to churches all across, I mean all across the border, and it, many of the larger ones especially, Episcopalian churches or a Lutheran church, they might have a segment of their, of their fellowship where people worship just like we do. Hands raised up toward God, singing songs, dancing around an altar a little bit. Many churches across the, 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 you know, the spectrum... If you're sick, they'll come to you just like I did. They'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. Common things. They'll, they'll believe that God's a miraculous, miracle-working God. Common things that we practice. But the Pentecostal distinctive is that we believe that, the, that speaking in tongues did not pass away with the first century, as many have been taught. Unfortunately, some people have been taught that in 1 Corinthians 13, which what we universally define as the love chapter, when the Apostle Paul said, uh, their prophecies, they shall cease. So there's their knowledge, it shall pass away. Or they're speaking in tongues, it will cease. And in essence, what he was saying is, is that there will come a day when there will be no longer for a prophetical unction. And so some have said that when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part shall be done away, that that was the canon of Scripture. So with the death of the last apostle and the completion of 
the New Testament canon of Scripture, there's no longer a need for the function of the unction of the Spirit as you and I are familiar with this. But we don't believe that. We don't believe that he's talking about the canon of Scripture. We believe the context is speaking of the perfect existence that we're going to live in when Jesus comes in the regeneration. That's why he said, now I know in part, but then I will know as he. I will know as I'm known. I'll have the mind of Christ. I won't need a prophetical unction over me because I'll be functioning in the spiritual world all the time. I won't be in this tug of war between the natural realm and the spiritual realm, between the flesh and the spirit, dying to the flesh and living in the spirit. So we believe that God is still, it's been the will of God all along for his church to have this experience. But I think so many of us stumble over it because we don't adequately understand it. I want to make this statement to you real quickly today is that you don't need to be afraid of speaking in tongues and you don't need to be afraid of people who do. Just because somebody speaks with tongues does not make them odd. If they're odd, they were odd before they spoke with tongues. (laughs) Thank y'all, thank you. The promise of the coming of the Spirit to usher in the church age was accompanied by this New Testament experience of speaking with tongues. I want to answer some questions for you today. First of all, number one, what is it? What is this thing? Well, doctrine, let me just tell you, doctrine how Pentecostals define it. We define speaking with tongues as the initial physical evidence that someone has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit has come over and has infilled someone. He actually comes upon and fills them inwardly unto overflowing. Jesus' disciples asked the question, Acts chapter number 1, at this time will you restore the power unto Israel? Jesus responded and said, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons when the Father has put in his own power. But you, Acts 1 and 8, shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Spirit of God, the promise. The Bible says that from Jesus' ascension off of the Mount of Olives, that they went back into the temple and for the next 10 days, they met, they worship, and they praise God in the temple, anticipating the coming of the Spirit, even in a way that they did not even know how He was going to come. They just knew God was promising something through the prophetical words of Jesus. And that's how Acts 2 begins. The Acts 2 tells us that they were gathered together in one place in one accord when suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house wherein they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire and it sat upon each one of them. And the Bible says, fourth verse, Acts chapter 2, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began, King James English, Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. It's not an isolated incident even in the book of Acts. It's repeated again in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, and it's repeated lastly in Acts chapter number 19. Five recorded instances, three of which plainly says that people that receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit speak with other tongues, Three, of, two of which it implies it's recorded as the experience. It's a doctrinal distinctive that we believe that if the Holy Spirit fills you fills you unto overflowing, the initial evidence will be that you will speak with other tongues. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately for some, that's the end. But it should never be the end. It should only be the beginning. Your initial infilling should be the beginning of a spirit-filled life. Come on, where we begin to see into the realm of God at a greater depth 
and with greater, uh, with greater certainty than we previously knew. So on that particular day, in Acts chapter number 2, the question is, is it a known language? I may not, I'm going to make sure I don't get ahead of myself. Yeah, that's question number 2. Well, is it a known language then, Pastor? Well, I'm going to answer this question this way. It sounds like I'm giving you a politically correct answer. Yes and no. Yes and no. In Acts chapter 2, we are confident that it was known languages. Because in the 8th verse of Acts chapter 2, those that heard the 120, because it caused such a, not confusion, but it would cause such a wonderment that they heard this group of men and women speaking in their native tongues the wonderful works of God that they all gathered to see what was taking place. So it's true, yes, that it can be, and it certainly was in the book of Acts, known languages. But when Paul started and was writing about it in the bridge of 1 Corinthians 13, between 1 Corinthians 12, as he wrote about the gifts of the Spirit, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 14, which we'll spend most of our time today, he expounded, he said, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels. So that gives us a little glimpse at times, though, that it's not always necessarily a known language that you are familiar with. Let's go a little bit further with this if we can. So then I actually answer it this way. It's yes, it is a known language. No, it might be the language angelic or spiritual. Or, and then it's yes and no. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. Pastor Brown, you should have been a politician. I know that's what some of you are thinking. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. If your Bible's open, I don't think we're going to be able to put all these scriptures on the, on the board. I want your Bibles open. Almost everything is going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at it. Look at the 10th verse of the 14th chapter. Now remember, the context of what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians, the, the Corinthian people are zealous of spiritual gifts. He started the epistle by recognizing that they were hungry for the things of God. He said, I marvel because you do not become, you are not coming behind in any of the gifts of God. That's how 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, begins. He's talking, he's commending them because they're zealous of spiritual gifts. But in their zealous pursuit of spiritual gifts, they've gone beyond the parameters that God intended for the gifts to function in, and it created confusion. And anything can cause confusion, even if it's a good thing. There still needs to be a right, come on, there needs to be a white line and a yellow line so that can, we can move forward together by order, by course. God's not the author of confusion. Come on, he's the author of peace. If it's confusing, then it's been mishandled. Right? Come on now. If it's confusing, then you either don't understand it or the people that are functioning in it doesn't understand it and it's left us perplexed. But if we are functioning the way God intends us to function, then it's not confusing. In 1 Corinthians 14, as Paul is addressing this, what because the perception of us, many of us, is that people were uh, speaking in tongues in the Corinthian church, not just in prayer, to which I'm going to separate the distinction from in a few moments, but right now, like right now, if in the middle of my preaching, somebody just stood up and started speaking with tongues, and somebody over here started speaking in tongues, and somebody over here started speaking in tongues, and there was no interpretation, then we would draw back and we'd say, I don't understand. I don't understand the language. And it would create us, it would leave us confused if there was no interpretation. So Paul, though, is simply saying here in the 10th verse that, that you don't understand necessarily what's being spoken, but he said this. Look at the 10th verse. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices or languages in the world, and none of them is without signification or without meaning. So just because you don't understand its origin doesn't mean that God does it. Okay, that's very important. 
You and I, I mean, at the most, how many languages can one person know? Four, five, six at the most. Baraza Augustine, our dear friend from up at Shirley that's from South Africa, could speak seven languages. I believe uh, Pastor Andre could speak proficiently in three or four. I struggle with just good English. And I miss the mark a lot. But he said there are so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without meaning. Remember, who confounded the languages of men in the beginning? Who? God did, right, at the the Tower of Babel. So you're going to tell me a God of all wisdom and all knowledge that knows everything about his creation doesn't understand all languages? So just because you don't understand doesn't mean God doesn't understand. God understands every language, even bits and pieces of it that the Holy Spirit could be grabbing of different languages, praying the will of God through you. God completely understands as you're praying the will of God. So just recognize that it's yes, it's no, it's yes and no. God understands all languages. Third question. Well, then the person that's speaking, are you speaking to men or to God? Great question. What are these questions? That's a great question. Great mind thought of that question. Are you speaking to men or to God? Primarily, look at 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. Primarily, this is going to confound some of you, you're primarily speaking to God. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. You say, well, Pastor, all the times when I hear the interpretation, and I'm going to clarify in a minute, many think it's the translation, and it's not. It's the interpretation. He said, typically they'll say, yea, thus saith the Lord, or, and it'll be in the first person sense as if God is speaking to men. Well, that's the interpretation. But when you're praying in the Spirit or speaking in tongues, he said, you're not speaking to men the way that when we prophesy, we prophesy to men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. But when I speak with tongues, I'm speaking unto God. In this context is what the Apostle Paul has said. Number four, does the one speaking understand what he or she is saying? How many know that's a good question? Because that's where a lot of people get, well, I'm afraid of that. Pastor Brown, I don't understand. Well, I understand. So what we think is, some think that as you're speaking in tongues, then God has given you a mental understanding of what you're saying, and that's not the case. Let Let me answer this biblically. Does the one speaking understand what he or she is saying? No. Now, I'm not saying God might not might give you a revelation. He can give you a revelation while you're speaking, but you don't understand the language that you're speaking. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. We just read it. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. However, in the spirit he does what? He's speaking mysteries. 1 Corinthians 14 and 14. Let's answer this biblically. I want you to know this because I don't want you to stand afar off any longer of the, of the gift and the unction of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to desire, desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it's a life-changing experience. Come on, it truly is. 1 Corinthians 14, he said, If I pray in an unknown tongue, unknown is in italics in the King James Bible, which means it was added by the translators to create cohesiveness of thought. For if I pray in a tongue, we're going to say again by the, by, the, by the translation, an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So that when someone that you know is praying in the Spirit, and those are synonymous terms, when someone's praying in the Spirit, they don't understand what they're saying. There's not a human reasoning element applied. Some think that, well, then that's confusing. Why would you want to pass? Why would you want to bypass your understanding, Pastor Brown? Why would you want to? Because my understanding can be warped. 
My understanding is oftentimes filled with imaginations that are in my mind. A carnal mind is enmity against God. I can be praying and I can be standing right here in the church and I can be praying and my mind can stray to carnal things. Am I the only one? I, I, I must be. I'm the only honest one then. No. I can, be, I can be right here thanking God and then I'm having to say, get thee behind me, Satan. I tear that thought down in the name of Jesus and I don't know why Shane didn't wear a green shirt and we all wore green shirts today. Not in Jesus' name, focus on what you're preaching and what you're worshiping. I don't... All those carnal thoughts. But when I pray in the Spirit, come on, I'm not wrestling with all that crazy stuff because the Spirit is praying through me the perfect will of God. So that's why I don't need to understand it to receive the value of it. It's bypassing my understanding. Now, there are some that would train you, and attempt to train you and say, well, that's where error occurs because you need to have the understanding. That's not what Paul said. They can argue all they want to in their doctrine, but the Scripture says, I will pray with the understanding and I will pray in the Spirit. I don't understand what I'm saying. Number five, does that make it gibberish then? That's a great question again. That sounds like something you serve at Thanksgiving, gibberish, gibberish gravy. Does that make it gibberish? Because that's what the church world that doesn't believe wants to put connotations on what we hold dear to because they don't understand it, and in their lack of understanding, they want to make it sound more confusing than in actually what it is. Does that make it gibberish? I put no. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Come on. How many of you say, you know, you could be in a foreign country and you could have a currency of great value, and if you didn't know it, doesn't mean that the value of the currency is devalued by your ignorance. Right? God's given us something that just because you don't necessarily understand it doesn't mean it doesn't have a high value in the kingdom of God. Remember, God understands all languages. Be convinced. That simple truth can liberate you in your mind. God understands all languages. Well, see, when we went to Honduras a few years ago, and I preached a couple of times, I had to have a, 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 a translator. It was a unique experience. And I'm sure it was greatly a unique experience for our translator having to translate both English and hillbilly English, and people that, like myself, that make up words along the way. That when we don't have a word to fit our situation, we just kind of make it up. So I'm sure that was a great challenge. But let me tell you, as people are praying all over the world, and the hundreds and even thousands of dialects that are in the world, that have been in the world since God confounded the languages at Babel, God is not sitting on his throne saying, what in the world is going on. Somebody, I, and calling for people, oh, angel, I need somebody to interpret. I need somebody to translate that. I, somebody get out a, a dictionary. I never heard that before. How I many know God is not up there bound like we are in our... Get out of your human reasoning for just a minute. Our God is spirit. Come on, he's greater than the carnality of our flesh and the limitations of a carnal mind. That's why in Ephesians 3, Paul said, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask. I can ask a lot or think. So even above my ability to think on what God is able to do, he can supersede it because he's God. And there is no other like him, glory to his name. Hallelujah. So don't allow somebody in their disbelief 
and their lack of understanding to rob you of this experience by saying that that's just gibberish, there's no value. Answer it by the scriptures. The 10th verse said, there are many voices in the world and none of them is without signification. The word signification in Greek means meaning. They all have purpose because God placed them in the lives of mankind at the Tower of Babel. The number six question. Is the public use of tongues and the private use the same? Another great question. It's a yes, but no. It's a yes, but no. First it was yes and no. Now it's yes, but no. It's the same in essence, but no, it differs in purpose. Does that make sense? It's the same in essence, but it differs in purpose. Let's go ahead and go to the scriptures and answer these two questions real quick. The public use, it was one question, but with kind of a breakdown. The public use of the gift of tongues. Paul identified tongues as a gift in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9, I believe it is. The gift of tongues that requires interpretation for the church to be edified. So separate that in your mind. There is the gift of tongues that is one of the nine gifts of the Spirit that's listed in 1 Corinthians 12 that the purpose is the common good of the body. The Holy Spirit divides these gifts as He decides and as He dictates. Not everybody's going to have the gift of tongues in that sense. Not everybody's going to give a message, as we say in the Pentecostal church, a message in tongues followed by an interpretation. But we all can receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, which would then be called the prayer language is what one of the, the contemporary words that we've given it, or that praise in the Spirit, as we see the Apostle Paul, the language that he uses in Scripture. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 19. In the church, remember, the 18th verse was my text. God, I thank you. Paul said that I speak with tongues more than you all. But in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Paul is concerned about the edification of the body when we come together. Look at the 27th verse. If any man speak in a tongue, this is the public usage of tongues, the gift of tongues that is designed by God to edify the body. The 26th verse actually is where we should start. Because in the 26th verse, y'all open to 1 Corinthians 14. Oh, it's on the screen. Great job, guys. Here's where he said, when you come together, every one of you have got gifts, certain things that God has placed within you that can add to the overall effectiveness of the worship service because we can encourage one another and build one another up by exercising these spiritual gifts. If any of us have the gift of tongues, paraphrase, 27th verse, in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three. So one person here, one person there might have a tongue, might give a message in tongues. But then he says, and then let, it be, let one interpret. Let it be by course. Let it be by order. Don't let it be simultaneously. So again, even in a known language, think about this. If four people were trying to teach you from this platform simultaneously in a known English language, how many know that would be confusing? Be very confusing, wouldn't it? So Paul is saying, even in the gift of tongues, put it by order. So if somebody comes and they're functioning in this gift, he said, put two or three. Don't let the whole service be about speaking in tongues because that's one part, one gift. There's a lot of gifts for the edifying of the body. Tongues has limitations. And he said, so and then let one interpret that the church might be what? That the church might be edified. So Paul was always concerned about the edification of the body 
in the body of believers. And if there's no interpreter, he said, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Thus the private usage. The private use is, is keep it to ourselves and speak unto God. The private use. So, the, pri- what, so, so the, the public use does what? It edifies the church. What does the private use do? 1 Corinthians 14 and 4. 1 Corinthians 14 and 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Prophecy, tongues and interpretation, the fifth verse, don't go there, it's the equivalent of prophecy. Tongues with interpretation is the equivalent of prophecy. And tongues with interpretation, prophecy edifies the believer. He said, he that prophesies speaketh unto men unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. And people that don't believe in tongues will take this verse out of its context and tell you that there's no value in it. But look at the fourth verse. If you speak in an unknown tongue, you edify yourself. That's not in a negative sense. We all need to build ourselves up. Now, I'm not talking about in pride. I'm not talking about in arrogancy. I'm talking about what Paul is, is, is referring to as the building up of your spiritual person. Did you know the book of Jude, verse 20, says, building up your most holy faith as you pray in the Holy Ghost? There's an edification that takes place in your life when you pray in an unknown tongue, you speak in an unknown tongue. There is a personal edification that takes place. A strengthening edification means to be strengthening. It's the same way if you exercise in the natural realm. If you exercise in the natural realm, you eat right, have a good attitude, how many of you know that you'll be built up and you'll live a healthier life? If I pray in the Spirit, then I am edifying myself. I'm building up my faith as I'm learning to trust God. Come on, I'm learning to not walk in the flesh. I can tell you the countless experiences that I've had when I've gone to my personal prayer time. And let me take you to a couple other verses of Scripture. I'm get ahead of myself. I really should. I know. What time is it? Am I okay here? What time? 11.45, Jesus of Nazareth. I want, I want to finish this today. It's very important. Let me stay with it. for just Stay with me for just a little while. I'm probably getting ahead of myself. It's probably important that I do so on the private use. So let's go ahead and connect it to the private use, the private use, the private use for just a minute. Romans, the book of Romans in the 8th chapter in the 26th verse says this. It says this, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And some believe that the word uttered in its most purest form in Greek means or understood or articulated in your own known language. So think about this. Look at what Romans is saying, what Paul is saying. If we put this in the context of speaking with tongues, we've already discerned and we've already learned that we speak mysteries. We declare the mysteries of God. We're speaking not to men but unto God. I pray. I pray with my spirit and I pray with my understanding. I speak out what the Holy Spirit places in my heart. I don't know what I should pray for as I ought, but the Holy Spirit joins with my spirit and prays the perfect will of God through me. 1 Corinthians 2, for the sake of time, I will not go there. But the apostle said, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What man knows the things of a man but the spirit of a man? Paul said, well, then what, thing, what knows the things of God but the spirit of God? So if the Holy Spirit is joined with your spirit and he's praying through you, what's he praying? The perfect will of God. Now, that's a powerful thing because I don't always know how or what I should pray for. You can even come to me and fill out a hundred prayer cards and say, Pastor, pray. I don't always know how I should pray over these situations. I don't know it in my natural understanding. But the Holy Spirit has searched the heart and the mind and the will of God. 
and he's praying through me the perfect will of God. Does that make sense? That's a powerful component in the, in the, in the art of intercession. You know what an intercessor is? One that stands in the gap or come on somebody, one that reaches one hand heavenward and another hand earthward and in faith is an intercessor and you're pulling the two together in faith. I don't know how I should pray for you, but when I pray in the Spirit, the Spirit of God on the inside of me is praying the will of God. And it's a powerful thing. And as I pray in the Spirit, that's what's odd. I know prayer, I know prayer can be Here's the word that I've asked y'all for several years now to clarify for me on the way to pronounce it, laborious, laborious, whichever way. I know it can be in one sense, but you will walk out of your prayer time. You will not walk out of your prayer time. Down. You'll walk out of your prayer time. My God, in the name of Jesus. Come on, I might have went into that prayer time down and just, you know, just... Things are going on, but out of my own belly begins to flow a river of living water. I don't know what I'm praying for as I ought, but the Spirit of God is searching all things, even the deep things of God. And I'm declaring in the, in the realm, in the natural realm, the supernatural wisdom of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. As I hear myself pray in tongues, it builds my faith. My spirit is receptive to the things of God, not just to English. It's like my subconscious mind. It's my spirit absorbing the very life of God and I'm praying the will of God and I get edified and built up and I walk out and emerge out of that prayer chamber. Come on. Strong in faith, giving glory to God. So it has a public usage to edify the body. It has a private usage to edify who? Come on, the believer. I started to start this sermon with this 17th verse. Did you know you can bless? You can actually give thanks with the spirit? Now, don't necessarily do it at, the, at this Thanksgiving meal because Paul said, he said, if you bless with the, he said, if you bless with, you know what, bless. Father, thank you for this meal. We give you praise for all your blessings that you blessed us with. He said, you can bless in tongues, but the other's not edified. But he said, you will give thanks well. Read it. Sometimes you've got to spin the text. T.D. Jake said, spin the text. You're looking at it negatively. Look at it positively. You gave thanks well. I can give thanks when I pray in the Spirit. My spirit is thanking God for all the good things that He's doing in my life. Are y'all hearing me today? Now, that was point six and seven and kind of eight, kind of woven together. The, what's the private use, the emphasis on? And that is on edifying the speaker. Number nine, in the public setting, can more, more than one person speak with tongues at the same time? I've got to answer these last two questions before I close today. got to answer these because this will help you. We'll say, in the public setting, can more than one person speak with tongues at the same time? That's a great question. How many of you say that's a great question? Because it's left me perplexed. How many of you say it's ever been perplexed? How many of you have ever been perplexed a little bit at a Pentecostal service? Be honest, I'll raise both hands, I, especially when I was new to the Pentecostal movement, right? If you're new to the Pentecostal movement, the first time that somebody either spoke with tongues or gave a message in tongues and you were sitting close to them, Let's be honest. If you came out of, a, out of a religious, traditional church where nobody showed any emotion at all, come on, and suddenly you were beside sister so-and-so, 
And back, especially a few years back when people were got happy, that's what the way defined it in days gone by, a little bit happier than people seem to be getting today. And so-and-so got a little bit freer in the spirit. And you were like, what in the world just happened? And you question. But rather than, but rather than giving up, go to the scriptures and you'll find your answer. And you'll understand. So the question is then, can anybody speak with tongues more than one person at the same time in a public setting? Listen to this. I'm going to answer it for you. Closing today for the sake of time. Not in the context of ministering to one another through the gift of tongues. Not in that. Because that requires by course. We already established that, right? So I don't have to go back over that. That's by, by course. It wouldn't matter whether it was tongues or teaching. Shane's a great teacher. But if he was up here teaching right beside me simultaneously at the same time, it would be confusing, right? And that we could apply that to any of the gifts of the, of the operation of the Spirit. But in, first of all, though, in receiving the baptism, yes. Acts 2, 120 spoke simultaneously. Acts chapter number 10, the, those at Cornelius' house, they all spoke with tongues simultaneously as the Spirit came upon them. Paul found 12 men at Ephesus prayed, laid hands on them, they all receive and they all spoke with tongues. So yes, in receiving the baptism, but also in prayer. I personally believe in prayer. 1 Corinthians 14 and 28, he said, if there's no interpreter, let him speak to himself and to God. That means privately you pray. It doesn't mean that you're using it as a gift. It doesn't mean that I'm inaudible as I speak to myself and to God. It just means that I'm not doing it from the ministry position of ministering it to someone else. Does that make sense today? So, so let me go a little bit further with that before I close, because that's number nine. There's no more beyond the ten. And so it's audibly at the same time as others, but it's in my own personal prayer closet. So I'm praying audibly in tongues simultaneously as somebody else is. I'm doing it publicly, but I'm still doing it privately. Does that make sense? Kind of the way that you worship. When you worship, you're kind of worshiping quietly to yourself, in essence. You're worshiping quietly. There's no microphone. You're not on stage. You're not ministering to someone else. You're in your own private worship experience. You're public, but you're private. You are praying publicly. You're praying in tongues, but you're doing it to yourself and to God. So people can come to the altar, and we could have 100 people, and 50 of them could be praying to themselves quietly unto God in tongues, and it would not be unbiblical, and it would not be out of order. But if we turned it and we attempted to minister by the gift of tongues and interpretation, it must require course and it must have interpretation. Remember this, it's not translation, it's interpretation. One of the most common asked questions to those that are in the spirit-filled movement is but how come there's a short message in tongues and a long interpretation? It's not translation, it's interpretation. The same way that when you read about visions in the Bible, like in the book of Daniel, Daniel saw a vision but he didn't understand. God gave him an interpretation of the vision, not a word-for-word -word translation. So just understand that closing. Daryl, join me on the platform if you don't mind today. Last question. Is this experience then available? I know you didn't come here today really thinking I was going to go this route, but to me this is so important. It's so important as a pastor because I want this church family, I want you to experience the life-changing power that the baptism in the Holy Spirit can bring to your life. I believe it's a life-changing experience, isn't it? Even in your Christianity, even in your Christianity, this is what God intended. Is this experience available to all believers? Yes and no. There he goes again. Let me go to no first. No, I've already clarified this, 
in the sense that we will probably not all use the ministry gift of tongues. No more than all of us will be apostles. No more than all of us will be prophets. No more than we are not all called to be teachers. We're not all called to be singers. We will not all minister in tongues with interpretation. Correct? Does everybody understand that? But yes, <clears throat> yes to this question. Is this experience available to all believers? I personally believe that every born-again believer can receive the baptism of the Spirit and the private devotional use of tongues, that you can receive this experience. In Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter said this, The promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And the last verse that I'm using today, 1 Corinthians 14 and 51, Paul said this, I would that you all spoke with tongues. Now, he said, but in the public setting, I want to edify the church, but privately, privately, I would that you all, I said the 51st verse, it's not the 51st verse, it's probably the 15th verse, probably. I would that you all spoke with tongues. No, no, I'm sorry. It's the fifth verse, that's the letter I, beside the five. 1 Corinthians 14 and 5, I would that you all spoke with tongues. I would. So, so here is cry. Here's Paul saying, yes, it has the potential for error, but it's got a greater potential for blessing. Right? Right? It's got a greater potential for, for blessing. Don't allow religion to rob you of the experience God meant for you to have. Don't allow anything, tradition, religion, unbelief, anything, move all that out and say, I want to receive. So in closing today, real quickly, say, Pastor, what do I do? How do I receive? Let me just tell you today. And we're going to, I'm going to pray with you corporately. It's not to me, it's not, the issue is not what happens right now. It's about what happens. That's, that's the issue to me. I know sometimes people give God just a little bit of time at the end of a sermon to respond to. So that's not the issue. The issue is, is not necessarily where you receive, it's rather that you receive. That's, that's what. I had, is Tiffany here today? I had Tiffany. Tiffany been asking me some questions recently and two Wednesday nights ago and we had been talking about this and she had been seeking in her own time. She didn't come and seek for hours at the altar but I just told her some of the very scriptures that I told you. Paul said, I will pray in the spirit and I will pray in my understanding. Your will is involved. Your will is involved. She just began to pray. She came up on a Wednesday night. She said, Pastor, I want you to know and she just started speaking in tongues right then. Right there. That happened two weeks ago right here in this church. It's not about what happens at this altar. It's about what happens on the altar of your heart. That's what happens. Some people get nervous in a public setting. Some people, I didn't receive. I did not receive at church. I was at home on my knees. Morris Sorello was preaching, 1986, pre-recorded VHS tape. That tells you how long ago that was. Some of these kids don't even know what I'm talking about. A VHS tape. And more so, I'll never forget it. He looked through that screen. So he said, right now there are young ministers that need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Get down on your knees. And I got down on my knees, just like this, in my living room, raised my hands toward heaven, and I began to pray the utterance that God put in my heart, and I began to change by the power of His grace from that day forward. It's not where, it's that. That's the key. I don't care if you're on your way to work, driving in your car. I don't care if you step in the shower. Matters not. I just want to see all God's children receive the gift of God and receive the power of the unction of God. Amen.
Amen. So you said, Pastor, how do I receive? Ask. Most likely, if you don't ask, you're not receiving. Well, then ask, but then not only just ask, but believe. Don't ask this. This is what most Baptists pray. It's how most Baptists pray for the baptism. Father, if it's your will for me to speak with tongues, then let me do so. No, it must not be the will of God for me to speak with tongues. That's not how you pray. You ask and you believe. Father, I pray, God, I receive of your spirit in my life and the divine unction. Father, the gift is to me, my children, and my children's children, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Father, I thank you for filling me with the Holy Spirit, and I receive the utterance that you have given me now in Jesus' name. So you ask in faith, you receive in faith, and then whatever utterance, I want to say this in all due respect, whatever utterance begins to function within your spirit, you've got to articulate it. You've got to speak it out. Your will is involved. An angel is not coming down from heaven and moving your lips and your tongue. He's not going to stand over you and say, Gaga, Gaga, Google, you got it, you got it. He's not going to do that. Okay? There's an unction inside you. You're a spiritual person. The real you is not this carnal flesh. You don't just commune with God in your mind and with your hand motions. You commune with God in your spirit. Jesus said, the Father is spirit and the hour has come and now is when the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. So I know him, Romans 8, his spirit joins with my spirit and declares me to be a child of God. I don't just know it here, I know it here. That's why Jesus said, out of my own belly. What does he mean? My belly, my spirit, I will flow a river of living water. So I begin to open my mouth and I begin to articulate, speaking out the unction and the utterance. And when you do, I want to encourage you, then you do this publicly and you do it privately. Where you receive is not the main issue, rather that you receive. After you receive, I encourage you, pray regularly in the Spirit. I will pray in my understanding. I will pray. There'll come a moment you'll be so comfortable praying in the Spirit. It's just like praying for somebody in the natural realm. I tell people, I'm not trying to demonstrate. I'm not trying to show off. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm telling you, there comes a moment you'll get comfortable. Somebody could come to me and say, Pastor, Pastor Brown, would you pray for my, my sister? Father, I pray for this person's sister in the name of Jesus, the situation that they're in. I don't know anything about it, God, but I just pray for them today that your perfect will be done. I will pray in my understanding. And then I can just pray just as quickly. Because the scripture says, I will do it. I don't have to interpret it because I'm praying the perfect will of God. I'm not giving you a message. I'm praying. I'm praying. I didn't do that for any purpose other than to show you what prayer life, can, what your prayer life can be. What your prayer life can be when you learn to trust what the scripture says and don't allow religion to rob you. Come on and building yourself up in faith in the name of Jesus and using the gifts of God. Won't we stand up this morning in Jesus' name?